0: Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. And so this morning, I'm going to be talking about how life is meaningless. And you're probably thinking, Tala, did you not just ask us to invite somebody to this sermon? Did you not just say that there is something specific here for somebody today and that, you know, it's going to be a blessed service? Yes, I did say all of those things. Um, And I'm also still standing by the fact that I'm saying here this morning that life is meaningless. I work in the field of research And in the field of research, you cannot just make a statement or a claim without having some empirical evidence or a credible source backing up your statement. So that's exactly what we're going to be doing this morning. If you open up your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 to 17. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation because I just kind of love the way that it's put In this translation. It's also a very large chunk of text. So we're just going to read it. And then I'm going to emphasize some of the key things that I want us to take away from this text. Right. So Ecclesiastes 2 verses 1 to 17, New Living Translation. And it says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, Laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire, So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all of my labor. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness for who can do this better than I, the king. I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness for the wise can see where they are going, but the fools walk in the dark. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate, both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, What's what's the value of my wisdom? This is all so meaningless. For the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. So I came to hate life because everything done under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind." What a passage. What a very discouraging passage, to be honest. Um, And so like I said, in the field of research, we need to do firsthand empirical research as well as making sure that this is a credible source. And we can kind of understand that this is a credible source because in this passage it says that, number one, He's a king. Um, and so, as the king, he's had all of the opportunities that he could possibly want, right? He has the best of everything. He has opportunities and access to literally everything that he can ever want. Um, and so, we can kind of take what he's saying here that life is meaningless with some truth because. And no offense to anybody, it's not like he's starting from the bottom, and he's still at the bottom, and he's saying that life is meaningless. No, he's saying that, like, I was the richest, I was the widest, I had, like, all of this, um, and I, like, still found that there was no meaning in anything. So we can tell that this is, number one, a credible source. And we can also see that he did some research to back up this claim, right? He, you know, he sought pleasure in drinking, he had access to many women he had silver and gold he had treasures and kings and provinces and loyal subjects he had all of these things and he still found that in everything there was no meaning right and so and this is kind of discouraging because not only is he saying that everything that he had ever accomplished in life is meaningless Um, everybody dies, right? He said that it doesn't matter if you're wise or you're foolish, right? And we can kind of extrapolate this by saying it doesn't matter if you're thin or if you're thick, if you're black, if you're white, if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're, you know, Bill Gates, if you're not Bill Gates, it doesn't matter where you fall on the continuum of life, everybody will die, And not only does he go and say that, you know, life is meaningless and everybody dies, he also says that nobody will remember you for any of the efforts that you've ever made, right? Um, And so this is all quite discouraging. The last thing that I want to point out to us about this passage is the emphasis on I and on the self. So he talked a lot about I sought out this, I sought out that, I did this, I did that, I had this, I had that, right? And so how many times do we kind of find ourselves personally in that situation where we're like, oh, I did this, I did that, and I'm still kind of feeling left unfulfilled or kind of feeling left aimless, right? Um, And so like I said, this entire passage is kind of dark Not even kind of, it is dark, it is kind of depressing, right? Um, And so we can kind of characterize what he's trying to say here. Life is meaningless, everybody dies, and everybody dies unremembered. We can characterize all of that as a form of darkness, right? Um, The good thing about this passage, and you're probably thinking... (laughs) please, where is the good in this passage? Um, so the good thing in this passage is Ecclesiastes 2, verses 13. It says, I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. And so we're presented with a problem here that everything in life in, is meaningless, everybody dies, and everybody dies unremembered. Um, but then we're also presented with the solution that light is better than darkness. So unfortunately for us, the author here or the king here doesn't necessarily extrapolate or um, kind of expand on his old notion that light is better than darkness. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be exploring what exactly that means. Um, And so if we look at John 8, verses 12, I'm also going to be reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So how is John eight twelve relevant to the whole blurb of how life is meaningless? Well, John eight twelve is essentially saying that, and Jesus here is saying explicitly that you don't have to walk in darkness. So you don't have to walk in feelings of, you know, an aimlessness or purposeless life. You don't have to walk feeling that you're going to die unremembered, right? Jesus here is saying that you don't have to walk in darkness, um, but rather if you follow him in light, you'll, you'll be led to life, right? So another piece of evidence that we can look at is in Deuteronomy 30 verses 19 to 20. And I really like how the Amplified Version puts it here. So it says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today, that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Therefore, you shall choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding closely to him. For he is your life, your good life, your abundant life, your fulfillment, and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord promised swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So let's kind of set the scene here based on what we've read thus far. Essentially, Deuteronomy 30 verses 19 is giving, is telling us that we have a choice. We have a choice between life and death. We have a choice between light and darkness. And we have a choice between blessing and curse, right? And so, and in Deuteronomy Thirty nineteen 19 verses 20 here, it says by choosing life, right? We are choosing essentially blessing. We are choosing light. And we're also promised by God that we're going to have a good life. And this is not just, you know, kind of the base model, so to speak, of life where you have a roof over your head and you have people who love you that surround you and you have your nine to five job and whatnot. But no, De- Deuteronomy 19 verses 20 extrapolates and says that you'll have a life filled with abundance and you'll have a life filled with fulfillment. And I think that we can all agree here that when you do something that is fulfilling or when you engage in something that is fulfilling as opposed to something that just brings pleasure, um, you find that whatever that thing that is fulfilling is, is meaningful, right? There's meaning behind that. And so by choosing life, we're choosing light, And we're choosing blessings. We're choosing fulfillment. You know, We're choosing to have a life that is meaningful. And so just a quick recap before I move on to the next section here is that the problem that we were originally presented with was that life is meaningless, everybody dies, and everybody will be forgotten. And this is characterized as a type of darkness. The solution here is to walk in light by following Jesus um, and to choose life over death. And so this is all great. We have the solution to this very dark and depressing problem. But now the question becomes, how do we go about choosing life? And what I truly love about the Bible is that just as you're being presented with sort of a problem in the same breath, in the same verse, in the same passage, you're also being presented with the solution. So in Deuteronomy, it essentially just says we choose life by loving the Lord your God, number one. By obeying his voice, that's number two. And by holding closely to him, and that's number three. All right, so I'm just gonna further break these down for us. So number one is loving the Lord your God. And so this means loving anybody and everybody that falls on the spectrum between your boss and your barista, between the frontline healthcare workers as well as the grocery grocery store clerks. This means loving and honoring and respecting everybody Um, And honoring upwards, so the people that have authority over you. Honoring downwards, the people that you have the opportunity to lead, as well as honoring sideways. And that just means, you know, your peers and whatnot. And so loving the Lord your God is the first way in which we can choose life. The second way that we can choose life is by obeying God's voice. And this is definitely easier said than done. Um, Obeying God's voice means yielding to the Holy Spirit, being guided and being directed by God. And so I just have two funny, quick little stories to share here with you guys. I am a grown woman and I still do not know my left from my rights. Like I know it when I have to pause and stop and think about it. But on the fly, if you say, catch this ball that somebody throws at me with your left hand, I'm going to have to think which hand is my left hand, this is my left hand, and then catch the ball, right? And so when I was doing my driving test a couple years ago, I, I was having a hard time, to be very, very honest. Not only was I driving and trying to make sure that I wasn't hitting the car in front of me and making sure that I was stopping at the stop signs for the appropriate amount of time and, you know, looking at my rearview mirror ever so often and checking my blind spots, I was also being asked to turn left, to turn right, and to think about Oh no, which side is my left side? Which side is my right side? And I think that the driving test individual could see that I was clearly struggling. I mean, with the entire test as a whole, because I think it's a miracle (laughs) that I passed that driving test. Um, But he could definitely see that I was struggling with knowing what was left and what was right. And it got to the point where he would be like, turn right, and then he would just point. And so, at least then, I didn't have to think about, okay, this is the side that I'm turning. I essentially just had to make sure that I was doing everything else and then following where he was pointing. And so, I kind of want to encourage us this morning that we should let God be our GPS or our global, or sorry, our God positioning system. It's a lot easier listening to the direction of God than it is trying to figure out our own way. Another example is I used to play rugby in high school, and for those of you who don't know, rugby is kind of similar to football. The rules are a little bit different, but kind of the same um, and so in rugby, we also run different plays, and that just essentially means that like you have to know if you're going left, when you're going left, who you're passing the ball to, things like that, right? And so during the practices, I was definitely struggling with my lefts and my rights. Everybody on the field would go right and I'd be the only person running by myself going left. And it wasn't because I didn't know the plays or I didn't study my plays. It was just because I didn't know my lefts and my rights. And so it got to the point where during the games, I had to write L and I had to write R at the back of my hands just so if the coach said, okay, we're running the play on the left, then I would just, okay, this is the way that I'm going, right? Um, So like I said, it's a lot easier for us to kind of be directed by God, to yield to the way God is directing us and leading us than for us to think about it and figure out our own way. And so second way for us to choose life is to obey God's voice. And the third way for us to choose life is to hold closely to him. And so this essentially means immersing ourselves in God's word, right? Removing ourselves from things that might be earthly or worldly, as well as creating time and space for God. Just another personal story here. I am a plant mom. I like literally, my love for plants has grown exponentially since we've been in quarantine, right? Um, and there's three very key things that you that a plant needs in order for the plant not only to survive but in order for the plant to thrive. And so the three things are light exposure, the amount of water and fertilization, and then pruning and pot size. So light exposure is kind of very straightforward. A plant needs light to survive because the sun's energy is what gives the plant energy and then the plant's energy is what ex- allows it to like transpire. I don't know. I'm not a scientist, but it's it's it, it just essentially through the sun's light, the plant is able to perform all of the necessary things that it needs to survive, right? The second thing is water regimen and fertilization is also super important, right? If you over your... If you overwater your plants, you're essentially just stripping the soil of its nutrients. So if you overwater and then you don't fertilize your plant, essentially you're going to starve the plant to death because there's nothing to replenish all of the nutrients that it's losing through the water, you know, going through its soil. And so This essentially, like I said, means that your plant is starving. And so this is kind of comparable to when we as individuals oversaturate or overexpose ourselves to things that don't necessarily feed our spirit. And then we don't, in the same breath, turn around and go and immerse ourselves or feed ourselves with the word of God or with the presence of God. And so this can span anywhere from music to movies or even the people that we hang out with. It's very important that... Because we are in the world, not to say that we are of the world, but because we are in the world, there is definitely a certain level of exposure that we're going to face regardless, right? But it's our duty and it is our responsibility to make sure that we are feeding and we are fertilizing our spirit with the things of God. Finally, pot size is key. Um, And just to explain without going into too much detail... Essentially, the size of the pot determines how big a plant will grow. Because when there's no more room left in the pot, um, this is what we call root bound. When a plant is root bound, it just means that there's no more room left in the pot for the roots to grow. And so the plant can never grow any bigger than it is because it cannot grow any new roots, right? Um, And sometimes I think that we as individuals are kind of in circumstances or in situations or in environments in which we are root bound. Our roots no longer have space, no longer have room to grow, right? And God is our gardener. He's trying to remove us and take us out of these situations, take us out of this pot that we're in to give us room, to give us fresh new soil so that we can dig deeper roots and then we can thrive and grow. But we're kind of stubborn people. Like I said, Obeying God's word is easier said than done, right? And so I want to encourage somebody here this morning, remove yourself out of that pot. Take yourself out of that situation. Take yourself out of that circumstance. Take yourself out of that environment and allow yourself to grow deeper roots because that's the only way. That's the only way that you're going to grow stronger and you're going to grow more knowledge in your walk with God. Another important thing about um. Kind of a plant thriving is pruning, um, and when I was first getting into the plant world, I did not like pruning my plants. Essentially, that just means that you go and you cut off some of the foliage or some existing part of the plant. And what that does is that it signals to the part that you kind of injured or the part that you kind of cut off to you know grow, right? And so, from where you've pruned, you kind of get. Lot of new growth, and I think that that's also comparable to us as individuals because there's definitely things and circumstances and situations and people um, and habits that we need to prune away in order for us to grow bigger, in order for us to grow better, in order for us to grow deeper in our knowledge with God. So, I would say that pot size as well as pruning is one of the key things that we can do to increase basically, and to, 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 to go further in our walk with God. And so just to sum up everything, the way in which you can choose life is to love the Lord your God, right? Is to obey his voice and is to hold closely to him. By doing all three of those things, we are choosing life. By choosing life, we are choosing to walk in light. And by walking in light... We're, leaving, we're living a life that is full of purpose. We're living a life that is not just meaningless, that we're not just aimlessly walking around, right? Because light is better than darkness, just like Ecclesiastes 2 verses 13 said, right? So like I said, all of this can be summed up by making a daily choice to allow God to be the center of Of it all. And there's this lovely song, and I just want to say, mind you guys, that there's a reason Pastor did not give me the mic and asked me to be part of our worship team. So, (laughs) pardon me, but the song goes, at the center of it all, it's you that I see, it's you that I see. And while that is a lovely song, while you know, when you're in the spirit, when you're lifting your hands to worship, it's so easy for us to say, that song. It's so easy for us to sing that song. But oftentimes if we actually pause and take a good look at our life, Jesus is not the center of it all. You know, our careers may be the center of it all. Our education may be the center of it all. Our children, our partners, our our businesses, our friendships, those may be the center of it all. And so, and, and by having those things in the center of it all, similar to that passage we read in Ecclesiastes, we're going to find that those things don't don't bring meaning to our lives. Yes, they allow us to live a good life, but they don't allow us to live a life that is abundant or live a life that is fulfilling. It's only Jesus, it's only God at the center of all of those things that can lead to having a meaningful life, right? Leading to us choosing life. And we do that by immersing ourselves in the word of God, by loving um, ourselves and loving our neighbors and by obeying his word. And all of this is all great and said, um, all of this is all great and whatnot, but if you've never had the opportunity to let Jesus be the center of it all, if you've never had the opportunity to walk into in, in this light or to choose life, then none of this can really be applicable to you until you make that first initial choice, until you remove yourself out of that darkness, right? Until you let Jesus be the center of it all. Um, And if you've already made this decision once before, but you just found that you know you weren't necessarily yielding or obeying to God's directions for your life or you weren't setting aside the time and the space that you needed or you weren't removing yourself from circumstances and situations and habits that didn't allow you to grow then i want to encourage you this morning to say this prayer with me and you can go ahead by doing that um by putting your right hand on your heart and by repeating after me father Thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, your word says if anyone comes to you, you will by no means cast out. I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that you lived a sinless life, that you died for my sins, and that on the third day you rose again. From today, be Lord of my life. Give me the grace to live my life in a way that is pleasing and consistent with your expectations. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.